Welcome to Salaf Report, your one-stop shop for discussion on small arms and light weapons from the Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asian regions. Each episode comes with a corresponding post on the website that will have the images and videos that we discuss here, so if you have time, make sure to give it a look. If you like what you hear, consider supporting us on Patreon to help fund things like this and other research in the region. Okay, so Yusuf, Iranian submachine gun history and design evolution. Let's start with the Model 22 from the Second World War. Or do you want to start before? Up to you. I want to hear it. I want to go into every detail with you. Okay. So I'm going to start from the first submachine gun platform which entered Iran in the whole firearm history of the country. So this thing goes back to years before uh, the Allied uh, invasion in Iran in 1941. Uh, you know, like uh, the story of uh, purchasing Bruno rifles and those Luger P08 uh, pistols. Small number of German um, MP22 or like MP28 submachine guns also entered the country. They were purchased. Uh, from Germany, uh, you know, the Hugelschmeisser's awesome design. And it was in the Iranian, uh, in the Iranian service, uh, even in the 1940s, after uh, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi became the Shah of Iran after his late father. And it was not purchased in large numbers. Still, we don't know because uh, all these documents related to these things are in uh, the archives of uh, Iranian foreign ministry and someone needs to get their hands on it, you know. Uh, but the first time it was used in combat, was in 1946 next to American made Thompson M145 caliber SMG. And it was used against uh, there was a sectionist state called Azerbaijan People's Government. And they were backed by Soviet Union. They wanted to separate from Iran, and Iranian troops fought them back. And there's actually a famous picture that uh, you will see Iranian troops that are armed with uh, and MP22s. It was taken in 1945, this picture. And yeah, it was used next to Thompson, like literally MP2, uh, like the Model 22 and a Thompson were literally the first SMG platforms that was used by Iran and also used in combat. But both were in limited numbers. Now, what about the PPSH? Um, yes, actually, I was about to, okay. I was about to start talking okay. about that. Go yeah. ahead. 
So the first time, for the first time that you're in the military, you really looked into SMG and they wanted to adopt a specific platform that they could produce and start to use it in mass numbers was the, the PPSH. So the story of the PPSH goes back to the agreement between Soviet Union and Iran during the World War II. So Iran would start to produce PPSH for the Soviet army, a number for Soviet army, and some others for Iranian army itself. Like Soviets would use it, Iranians would use it, both sides will go happy. And uh, the production line was established in a place we call it Urkhane, or like Gurkhane, uh, like if you want to spell it in English. Uh, it's the place in the uh, neighborhood of Tupkhane. Uh, it's the artillery ground neighborhood, we call it, if you translate it to English. It's in the south of Tehran. It's a place that for almost hundred, uh, for half of a century, the small arms, the, bur uh, the burner rifle, all, all these masterpieces were produced there. So a line was established there. And due to the facts that are still unknown, limited numbers of the, the PPSH were produced. And a number of samples were delivered to the Soviets. And the rest of the guns that were produced entered the Iranian Army Service. And they were in the service till the 1950s, you know. Uh, till the late 50s, 1950s, which uh, they were later uh, replaced by US-made M3 Grizz gun and uh, some donated uh, MP40 submachine guns. Like, it's fascinating that Nazi made the Nazi Germany made guns appeared in Iran after the World War II. Like, not only the MP40, also, like, Later, I will talk about it as well. The Sturmgewehr also appeared in the Iranian service as well. Yeah. So that, this is, that is a topic for another day. Because <laughs> everyone's yes. always fascinated by that CG-44, wherever it yeah. pops up. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, this is the, like, the story of like three different platforms that appeared in less than a decade in the country. What Farsi names do we have for all three of these, either colloquial or official? Because we know the Papa Shah is known as the Model 22 after, what, post-World War. The names that we the, have for um, the PPSH. calendar. But what, so, okay, what official names and colloquial Persian, names do we have? The name was called Pepeshe, because the SH is pronounced as She. So, like, literally, they pronounce it the same way. They call it the Pepeche in, in the Persian uh, language. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the Persian calendar, in the Shamsi calendar, or like the solar calendar, it's 
1323 till 1326, if I'm not mistaken. Because they were produced in a period of like two years, I think. Two years, like two and a half years. And uh, due to unknown circumstances, most probably, I think it's end of the World War. Because the World War, when World War was over, Iran started to have political problems due to the this sectionist uh, people I talked to you about earlier, the Azerbaijan's people government, because it was backed by Soviet, and it, uh, they were arming them, and they wanted them to separate the north, uh, west of Iran from the, 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 the soil, and they wanted to uh, take it to the, like the Soviet soil. So the things went dark between Iran and Soviet Union at that time. So I, in the 1945, the, the production line was closed. That's why it was produced in limited numbers. And they were using the 35 round magazine, like uh, due to the photographic evidence that exists from the SH. The 35 round magazines were only used. Like the, there's like straight ones, there's the curved ones, but mostly there were the straight ones that was used by the Iranians. And no a draw magazine existed, literally. That we've seen in use with the Pepe show. Yes, yes, sir. Exactly. So what about the Thompson and the M3? Do we have, what, what, what Farsi names do we have for these? So for Thompson is uh, literally the spelling as Thompson. And uh, you know the word uh, that we use to call a submachine gun? In the Farsi language, we say Mosalsal. It's similar to the word in Arabic. But in Persian, it means that a gun, that when you pull the trigger, it fires uh, constantly. The other word in Arabic is Radara, which we've yes. seen in Iraqi army manuals in the 1950s for these same submachine guns, the M3 um, and then the Thompson as well. So that's, yeah. yeah, so Masasa. So I think Masasa is less used in Arabic than uh, Radara, but okay, yeah, continue. So yeah, uh, the Thompson. The origins of the Thompson, we don't know, but uh, there's a claim that the Allies, when they were stationed in Iran, they donated a numbers of Thompsons to the Iranian army. And uh, from what I saw on the pictures that, for example, from Taymur Bakhtiar, he was the later he uh, established Sawak, Iranian uh, general. He is photographed uh, with the Thompson, uh, and, and a specific model of the Thompson that existed was the Thompson M1, the same model that was used uh, in large numbers by the Allies in the World War II. So I think most probably the origins of this were. SMG is American troops or the British troops that they were stationed in Iran during the World War II. 
uh, and it didn't see a large uh, years of service as well, uh, which later I will say like what happened, and uh, in a couple of minutes I will I will tell you like what exactly entered Iranian service in large numbers, and I literally consider this like this exclusive weapon platform as the first submachine gun that was used in large numbers by Which the is Iranian the military. Uzi, right? It's, uh, no, it's M3, M3 Grease Gun. Ah, the Grease Gun, okay. Yes. So the story happens during the Marshall Plan and, you know, the support by United States for the countries that they needed U.S. support especially during the days of like early days of the cold war and uh, like beside the economic reform and everything there were the military parts as well and iran uh, received multiple weapon systems mostly there were the u.s military surplus guns which were included the browning m2 heavy machine gun m1911s and the subgun part uh, they donated thousands of M3 Grease guns and a number of MP40, Schmeisser MP40s. But M3 Grease gun, and to be specific, also the M M3A1, which comes with that uh, uh, specific flash suppressor, entered the Iranian military service and. Uh, it was used by the Imperial Guards, Army, and Shahbani. Shahbani is the local police force of Iran at that time. And uh, Iranian Gendarmerie. And it was still in use till like after the Islamic Revolution. It was in service, but like in short numbers. And MP40 as well. MP40, I have uh, like there's photographic evidence. It was used by uh, Imperial Guards as well as Army's elite uh, 55th uh, Airborne Brigade, which are based in Shiraz. And these two platforms were used uh, till the time that the Uzi entered Iranian service. All right, so the Uzi. This is where the, the greatest saga begins. Let's go. Exactly, yeah. And first, uh, I'm going to give a very short history on the, you know, like how it, the Uzi entered our service. So, uh, the reform in the Iranian military started up in the early 1960s. So, in the service weapons, and specifically submachine guns, uh, Iranian commanders were looking for a specific platform so they would adopt, and it will become the standard SMG for the selected units that SMG ha has a role in, in those you know, units, such as special operations, uh, uh, police forces, 
security forces. And they had good relations with Israel in that time. And there were like great economical as well as the military ties between the two nations. And uh, we had a guy, we had the military general, he was uh, Hassan Tufanyan. <clears throat> he was a very highly respected Air Force official. That's uh, Shah Mohammad Reza Pahlavi. He put him in the charge of uh, purchasing new weapons for Iran. And uh, during one of his uh, official trips to Israel, the uh, Israeli officials, they, uh, um, they showed the, the Uzi submachine gun to him and he tested fire the weapon. And they made a deal. They made a deal with uh, Israel. And in, 90, in the spring of uh, 1965, the first batch of Uzis, there were thousands of them. They were purchased by Iran and officially entered the Iranian military service. This is how Uzi started show up in Iran. So it was in the spring of 1965. So the word Uzi in Farsi, what's yes. up with this? Why, why does this make a difference? So... When it entered the Iranian service, they needed to pick a name for it. Like, you know, they needed to say it's like in a Farsi way to pronounce it. So they were not calling it Uzi, they were calling it Yuzi. For many years, like even when I was a small kid, I could hear it like by, from military people, like my friends, that they call it Yuzi, not Uzi. And still, till this day, lots of people still like to pronounce it as Yuzi. Yuzi is a Peshinga, or in Persian, Mosasali Yuzi. Spelled with like, yeah, like. Yes, exactly. Yes. And like, I, I, even I'm, I'm trying to fix it with my friends currently at the moment. I'm telling them, like, no, the, the right pronunciation is Uzi, not Yuzi. And the yeah, grand, grand thing. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, there's also an, another, uh, a couple of other fascinating stuff about the Uzi platform in the Iranian industry is that, uh, 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 have you seen the flashlight, IMI flashlights, which were built for Uzi? They're yeah, like the yeah. air. Yeah, they're big, oh. they're bulky, but you know they're really innovative for their time period. Exactly, and a number of uh, these flashlights were also purchased by Iran for usage in the special ops, and I have seen them as well in some military ceremonies. Uh, they put it for uh, like to show it to the people, and still, yeah. like forty years later. I don't know, like, why they have done that. because um, uh, during the, the like the the photographic evidence which exists from the current uh, system, they are not in use anymore. I just think they put it for you know, like, as a kind of show to people, like, yes, we have this, yes, we have that. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not like something that is still operational. I don't think so. 
because it's really big and bulky, as you said. And due to the existence of like modern uh, light systems, I don't think that it is operational. Really, it's, like it sounds like you know some boss was like, like we need these, we need smoothies on display tomorrow. Make it happen. Make some, get some of the nicer ones. And yeah, other exactly. guys like, well, in the armory, what do we got? Well, we got these ten regular ones. We got this one with this weird thing on it. Hey, let's put that one on there. Not realizing it's like this is like a historical artifact. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, this this the Uzi showed up in our service. The people were loved it, and till till today, the full size Uzi is in service, and. Uh, they also produced the uh, suppressors for the Uzis as well. And uh, it, it might be funny somehow if I tell you like how they built these suppressors on the barrels. How you so? will get shocked. How so? So uh, these suppressors are attached to the barrel, literally. You know, and uh, they're fixed to the barrel. They're not something that you can detach them from the barrel. There's on it till the time like uh, they're not going to be operational anymore. And uh, it's a, such a sad, sad thing that even though like there's suppressors out there that you can attach and detach it from the barrel, but they have destroyed literally the barrel by the thing that they have done. And this thing was done after the revolution. Before the revolution, uh, there were no, like, literally uh, suppressors in the country. I haven't seen any evidence. And uh, I like asked a couple of people in people who uh, knew uh, like about the the purchasing situation. They told me about the bayonet. They told me about uh, the light system, but they didn't tell me anything about the suppressors. And uh, these suppressors, after the revolution, they were done by welding. You know, like into the barrel. That's why I told you, like, you cannot detach them literally from the barrel if something happens to them. So if you want to change something, you need to detach the whole barrel and replace it with a new one. Ah, on other submachine guns, that might be a big problem. But with the Uzi, it's mm -hmm. a threaded barrel from the front. So yeah. just, really, just cock the bolt back and you can unscrew the whole barrel with the front barrel uh, castle nut quite easily. Exactly. So, you know, it might not be a bad thing after all, if you think about it. As long as you have a spare barrel, <laughs> that's the important Yes, that, that's the thing. That's the yeah, thing. That's the hinge point. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes they have done some crazy stuff. Like, you just ask yourself, like, dude, you could, like, import a suppressor from the market. You can purchase one. You're the government. You have your hands on everything. You have the money and everything. If you want to make it like proper suppressed, but get purchased and produce it locally. 
why you have to do such a thing, like, I really don't understand. So yeah. Uh, and you know, like these Uzis, which were produced for Iran, they had Pahlavi Kran symbol on it. And uh, uh, each unit that they were using, the Uzi, their names were stamped on the receiver as well. For example, there's like samples that are used by the local police, the Shah Bani. It's written in Farsi, Shah Bani, and the, the name of the gun and the serial number, which are stamped on the left side of the receiver. Uh, but there's also the Gendamir uh, Uzis, right? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, this was, I, I said this thing as a sample that uh, the names, for example, Shah Bani is written, stamped on the, 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 uh, the submachine gun platform. Uh, okay, okay. That's and just, uh, also, also I have to say it about the selector of the Iranian Uzis, that it is in Persian. Uh, it's literally different from the Farsi uh, stamps you see on the G3 or the MP5. So the safe on the original IMI selector is S. In the Persian, it's written Zamen, like the whole word is written. In the semi automatic, IMI selector is R. For the Persian selector, it's written Tak Tak, which means like semi-automatic and fully automatic and the IMI selector is A the, this is like the version that exists in Iran the Persian selector is Mosalsal so this is how it's written on the receiver for the selector and <coughs> we talked about this earlier in the previous podcast yeah but Tok Tok is actually an onomatopoeia, right? Because yes. it's like it's like the, the, it's a sound saying, you know, Tok Tok, bang bang. Yes, exactly, so exactly. Little shot, right? Bang yeah. bang. So the, exactly, it's like the the way they adopt this specific word in Farsi is because it's how it sounds. You know, whenever you pull the trigger, one shot, one one like one projectile comes out of the barrel. That's why they call it tac tac in, in Farsi, and they adopt it uh, on the Iranian Uzi selector. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Okay, so what do we have left on the Uzi? And then when do you want to start talking about the Tandor, the MP5? So, yeah. So, I need to say this thing as well. There's a submachine gun left from that area that I have to talk about it as well. The MAT-49, the MAT-49, the French subgun as well. It was in Iranian uh, use and uh, it was used by the local police force. And there is one sample in the museum in Tehran. I have seen it with my own eyes. 
and there's only one picture that you can find on the whole social media on the internet currently at the moment which is a black and white picture of the gun which was used by uh, an uh, Iranian communist militia that killed army general Farsiv in 1970 and due to the reports of the newspapers in back then this smg was stolen from a, a police trooper he was killed and they took his gun and they used the gun in the assassination attempt yeah but uh, like the we don't know how many units were purchased by iran in that time or how did they ended up in the iranian service we don't know but there were not that a lot, like there were not a lot of samples of this specific SMG in the Iranian service. But it didn't see like a large years of service. Um, there's a high possibility that it was phased out in a favor of Uzi. Because as, as I said, like Uzi was purchased, so they like all, all the, the service branches would use it as a standard submachine gun. And also, there's a story of Mac 10, the Ingram. The Mac 10, yes. Yes. <laughs> so, literally, the first time that I heard that we have Mac 10s in the museum, I was shocked. I really like didn't know that Mac 10 was in service with us. With the Iranian military, like literally the Sawak was using it, the Shah's intelligence agency. And I estimate it entered service in the early 70s because, like, you know, Sawak had a great relation with CIA back then. And uh, a number of the Mac 10s were purchased to use by Sawak, including. Uh, versions with psionics suppressor, you know, this first generation large suppressors, which was invented by the psionics company. And these MAC-10 samples, uh, they exist in the uh, Iranian army's uh, Zulfikar museum in the, the province of Kerman. And they're the unsuppressed version and the suppressed version of it. And they're on the show for the people who will pay a visit to the museum. Now, and actually, yeah. No, well, now you showed that museum earlier, yeah. the Zulfikar uh, Museum. And that's, it's in, now, is that museum dedicated to. You know, Imam Ali's sword, Zulfikar, and does it have it in there, or is this essentially it, a weapon museum or something? Right? It, it is a weapon museum for the Iranian army. You know, uh, they name anything after, uh, like, uh, with religious names, you know, like Islamic history, like Muhammad, uh, like the Prophet Muhammad, uh, Ali, Zulfikar, you know, all these names. Uh, are used commonly by the government to name important places, events, everything. So it doesn't have anything to do uh, toward uh, 
Alice specific sword, unique sword. And it's literally it's a tradition, let's say, <clears throat> that they use it for naming this specific museum. And my friends, they have visited the museum and they said there's some really awesome pieces in there that you will be shocked if you see. That's, no, it's interesting going back to the Zulfikar sword, you know, there's the whole, thing <laughs> yeah. the, you know, the idea of what, like, you know, the significance of a small arm or sword in, within fighting prowess sort of thing without threat. Yeah. So what is left from this, like the Sopcon history, it's the MP5 Tondar. Uh, like the MP5 and the Iranian copy of it on there. We have the Breda M12. And we have the Star Z84. So which, like, I think I'll go to MP5 first and the Tondar, I will explain, like, how, like, MP5 came and what was the idea behind the Tondar. So, uh, you know, the same, same era that the G3 entered Iranian service. Uh, Iranian Imperial Air Force, or the IIAF, uh, was the only unit that they didn't adopt Uzi. They never, ever used Uzis, you know. They were the only Iranian military unit that they didn't want Uzi. They didn't use it. We don't know why. So, the, when the G3 was adopted, they showed interest in the 9mm version of the G3. Like, MP5 is literally G3, but chambered in 9mm, you know? So, uh, they purchased MP5 A3s for the Air Force uh, back in the 1970. And uh, for the first time, uh, like, I saw the MP5, like, pre-revolution photographic evidence was the time that Ayatollah Khomeini, he came back to Iran uh, when he landed on the, in the Mehrabad airport. He was escorted by uh, Air Force uh, military police that they were bearing their MP5s with uh, trade magazines. And, you know, they had the slim handguard, the early slim handguard HK uh, production. But also, it's it's a fact that uh, small number of A2 version that comes with the fixed stock, as well as the short MP5K, were also imported and was used by the bodyguards, uh, like the people, like uh, the the government people, like the bodyguards of them. There was used by them the MP5K. So, like this is a story of MP5 before the revolution. So we go after the revolution, we come back in the 1970, uh, 1990s, after uh, like the police reform happened in 1991, they adopted MP5 and the Uzi as their uh, standard submachine gun platform. And uh, so the DIO, the Defense uh, Industries Organization, started to produce MP5s, but like under the name of the MP5. And, and 
large numbers of MP5s were delivered to the police, police forcing back in the 1990s. So, uh, also DIO uh, produced a fixed uh, stock version of the MP5A2 and also the MP5K. And in the, in the 2000s, uh, they changed the name to Tondar, which means like Thunderbolt. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the end of our Slah Report podcast episode. But if you'd like to know more, read more, and listen to more, please do help us on Patreon, follow our newsletter, and definitely, definitely subscribe to our SoundCloud. And don't forget to check out Slah Report Shop. And for a short period of time, we have a 30% discount with the code TARIK, T-A-R-I-Q. So please don't forget to check the shop out and use it. Have fun.